It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Well, I think a good place to start is that Nicole is someone Jason experienced the ayahuasca journey with that we talked about in the last two episodes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I chefed that ceremony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, sure uh, did. Sure did. Held how many times have you done ayahuasca now? Well, I've chefed and facilitated, I think, eight ceremonies now. And I think I've participated three times. One time, actually, nothing happened. I didn't have an experience, which can happen sometimes. Yeah, I actually did hear that from somebody else who had done yeah. ayahuasca and said they didn't really feel much. Why do you think that happens? They say you have like internal resistance or something like that. But I think... In my case, I didn't really follow the dieta super strict because I was only planning that time to be a facilitator and to hold space for others. So I hadn't really prepared my body. I didn't cut caffeine. I didn't cut sugar or spice. And so I'm just wondering if chemically I wasn't in a place to receive. For the listeners that don't know what a dieta is. I think you... we talked about it in those episodes. Did we? Pretty sure. Well, for those who Let's hear, aren't yeah. listening, what is the way it's been explained to you, what's the purpose of it? And, uh, what, and what is it? Just a quick dieta, summary. I mean, essentially is a diet, but it's more than that. It's a lifestyle that you take on to prepare your body for the ceremony. And the point is to completely clean out your body. So it's a clean temple. And it's more than just a physical clean out. So of course, there's like dietary restrictions and things that you'll start detoxing, caffeine, sugar, spice, but also it's energetic and emotional detox too. abstain from sex masturbation, alcohol, overstimulating energetic encounters. Like you're supposed to kind of just really zen out. So you really present yourself to the medicine like a clean, like fresh temple ready to receive. So counter to that, if one is to say come into, uh, because I assume you've probably seen dozens and dozens of people facilitating these ceremonies and chefing and, and nutrifying people, that there's a Obviously, a variety of physical, energetic, emotional, spiritual responses people have. Do you see any or have you seen a corollary between, say, someone who comes in who is doing the opposite of a dieta? Perhaps they're eating like heavy animal or fried foods or they're engaging in like really disruptive practices like a sex addiction or listening to crazy heavy metal. I don't know. I'm thinking of like the opposite of the dieta. Yeah. Have you noticed that is there a corollary between the type of experience someone may have if they come in like that? Sure. I mean, with our shaman, there's certain things that if they broke the dieta for, he will ask them to not participate. Really? Yeah. Because one, it could be to their own detriment. For example, specifically, if they've cheated and had any pork products, there's a chemical in pork that negatively reacts with the ancient medicine and really? so it can actually be dangerous for their health so he really encourages people to be transparent and honest but that being said i think the medicine is super gentle and has an, the ability to be super gentle teacher and i think that when you have not adhered to the dieta your journey can be a little bit i've observed it being a little bit more chaotic the messages still come through but it is 
more of an intense journey for those people. Whereas I think if you follow the dieta and really prepare your body, you can get those same kind of like deep life messages, but in a more gentle. Interesting. Well, it's a good thing none of us eat pork. We have a pig that's a friend anyways. Yeah, basil's our bestie. Yeah. We would never even say that word in front of him. No. The B word never gets mentioned in the household, does it? No. Or the P word. The B word, the P word, the H word. B is just bananas. Yeah. P is plums. Mm-hmm. H, hazelnuts. Hazelnuts. Mm-hmm. Basil is a fan of all of those yeah. snacks. He would yeah. eat all those snacks if they were offered to him. He's such a good pig. He likes carrots. I figure his eyesight's better than anyone's. You're right. You know? <laughs> he eats a lot of carrots. His beta carotene levels are up there. Yep. Wow. Pretty fascinating. Cutest. Little pig. Cutest little pig. Yep. Yep. So, ayahuasca. Well, we just spent two episodes talking about ayahuasca. <laughs> we did. We did, but I we're on it and we're probably not going to come back around to it. So, I just want to I want to scrape that the bottom of that pudding bowl a little bit before we continue on this okay. journey with Chef Nicole. Deal. Sure. Sure. Since uh since we, I mean, you clearly do understand the title of this podcast, so let's just right. jump in. You wait. What's the title of this podcast? This might get uncomfortable. Oh, I thought you meant this episode. I'm like, have we picked a, a title for this episode yet? No. What would you call it, Nicole? This episode? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Published authors, <laughs> lady bosses. Ooh, spoiler <laughs> alert for what we're going to talk about throughout the episode. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. You have done uh, ayahuasca ceremony three times. Yeah. And what specifically did, and it's a feminine spirit, this medicine is a yes. feminine spirit. And yeah. as part of the ceremony, there's also the um, mapacho, which is the uh, the uh, masculine spirit. Grandfather, yeah. So what kind of things did you experience top level that came up in your reality that you needed to look at like what kind of healing experiences what kind of things were like hey nicole take a look at this or maybe deeper revelations you hadn't had Mm -hmm. prior to those ceremonies yeah i think for me one of the biggest message was compassion and obviously as a vegan you know you would think there's a good level of compassion already in my soul but a deeper level of compassion for people people in my life family experiences And one of the more profound things was this vision that I had on the medicine of being taken up into a helicopter and looking down at my life from an aerial view, but not just my life right now, like my entire lifeline and showing me, you know, the points in my life where I was feeling stuck or trapped, that they're just small moments in the grand scheme to have compassion for myself in those moments of overwhelm. And to adopt self-compassion and a sense of ease, knowing that it's just it's just a moment in the grand scheme. And then also compassion for others, showing me people that maybe I had uncomfortable relationship with in my life, friends, family, and stretching their timeline out and showing me places in their past that inform the way that they behaved with me in the present and just literally showing me that actually nothing is personal. I mean, it's a, it's a mantra that we always say, don't take anything personally. And it's like, blah, blah, blah. It's actually has nothing, very little to do with you, if nothing. How someone shows up and interacts with you has so much to do with themselves. And so just 
compassion for that, understanding human suffering. That's a good reminder for us right now. Yeah. Given the challenges that we've had with our our book process. Yes. And I find it's really interesting how life always finds a way to bring these things to your attention. And it's all about the way that you interpret it and the information that you have at the time. Yeah. You know? Definitely. And I find that really interesting as I get older and have more experiences and learn lessons that... I'm starting to interpret information differently right. than I used to. Right. And that idea of not taking things personally, I think, is there's so much freedom. At. I don't think I'm at a point where I don't take things personally, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like it's easier for me to understand that concept. Right. Whereas in the past, I used to think I used to take a lot of things personally, like a, way more extreme. Right. Yeah, definitely. That whole process has helped you with... I mean, is this, are these lessons things that you have really made like a really lasting impression on you? In other words, like you're able to like immediately deal with them better or do you have to constantly be reminding yourself of these lessons just like? No, I I think it's much more in the forefront of my mind. And yeah, I still have the natural like knee jerk reactions. But I'm able to comfort and coach myself through negative emotions much easier. I feel like I have this added tool set now, which is making it easier for me to navigate emotionally painful situations in my life. Yeah. So it's been it's been such a blessing. And I think one of the huge things that came out of my journey was um, a complete healing with the relationship with my father, which I had been working on in traditional ways, you know, for years, going to therapy and like doing different things. but on my first journey, just so much compassion for my father and his childhood allowed me to write a letter to him that expressed gratitude for everything that he did right. If you would have read this letter, it was like, you would think that I had the most perfect childhood in the world, which is not true. I had a very intense childhood, but I focused on everything that he tried to do and all the positive things and expressed gratitude to him. And when he received that letter, it broke his heart wide open. He felt seen and he felt so humbled and he cried and he was able to, for the first time in my adult life, take responsibility for shortcomings. Whereas when I pointed the finger and said, hey, you need to be responsible for this. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. I want an apology. That was in a self-righteous ego. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to me, I thought I deserved those things. But that made him in resistance to me and defensive. And when I came to him with gratitude and expressed all these things that he was seen and acknowledged, he was able on his own to take self-inventory and make a phone call to me where he said, you know, this letter just broke my heart open. And I just thank you so much for seeing me and seeing what I tried to do. And I know I wasn't a perfect father and I'm sorry. And I love you. And thank you so much for seeing me for how I did show up. And it was a it was a major healing for us. And it's been beautiful. And like now we, we get dinner like on a weekly basis and it's something that we both look forward to. And if it doesn't happen one week, like we miss each other and we want to see each other. And I haven't had that cute like little girl like, oh, I miss my dad. I want to see it like since I was a little girl mm. and I still have that. It's like, no, I'm like having dinner with my dad tonight. Like I'm so excited. Like, <laughs> You know, that's my Thursday night, guys. Like, it's happening. <laughs> every Thursday you guys have dinner? Almost. Sometimes every other Thursday because, you know, 
a girl's got a date sometimes, but like <laughs> just for the most part, yeah. Yeah. Almost every Thursday we meet in Pasadena. We have a plant-based meal, which also feels so good because he's eats plant-based with me. Like every time we like have our little dad-daughter dates and we share plant-based food and we catch up on life and it's been really beautiful. It kind of, to me, mirrors the conversation we were having before we all started recording this episode, which is talking about veganism or sustainability or, or conscious living and how a lot of activists and people are in a mode of um, being really angry at other people for not choosing what they choose or right. being angry about their ignorance. And what you're describing just reminds me of, of what we were all discussing about coming at it from a place of praise and coming at it from a place of acknowledgement. And really, you know, supporting people rather than saying, you're not doing this, you didn't do this, you know, whether it's with our parents, like you weren't a good enough mom, a good enough dad, or don't you know the damage you're doing in the world by eating the way you eat? I mean, I think there's just something to be said about how people respond to praise and acknowledgement and love versus shaming and a sort of dark despair energy being thrown at them. Right. Just like how your dad responded completely differently once you acknowledged him and praised him and came from a space of love. Look how he changed. Incredible. I mean, I think that applies to us as activists too. Yes. Would you yeah. ever do ayahuasca with your dad? I would love to. Or is it, is it something that you would... I haven't done ayahuasca yet. So is it something that you, quote unquote, do with somebody or would you have him go do his own journey and then, then uh, yeah. kind of have your separate healing. I think there's a vulnerability of sharing that space together, whether you participate in the medicine or not over the weekend. The bonds that I've created just by being a facilitator, just showing up and serving food and putting a hand on someone's back when they're going through an emotional time or bringing them a tissue, they're in such a vulnerable place that any little speck of love that you give to a person that's in that raw open space is so appreciated and so bonding that I think I don't have to necessarily quote unquote do it with him. If I was a facilitator, you know, and holding space for him to go on his own journey, it would be incredibly bonding. If he didn't take the medicine and just came and helped me co-facilitate, even that would be so bonding because you're just in the energy of it. But um, I've seen miraculous things happen with um, couples specifically coming in one way with you can tell some tension and some distance and some pain and leaving at the end of the weekend like newlyweds, like freshly shampooed puppies, like huh. so cute. And it's, it's really beautiful because all these things that we get so hurt and we get so self-righteous and we really hold on to and want to beat the drum of distance and we're justified in it. So many of those things are just like not real in the grand scheme of things. The truth is, is like whatever you're angry or holding resentment about, if your loved one was just like all of a sudden on their deathbed, all those things would just dissolve and they just literally don't matter. And we make them matter so much and we choose that and we choose distance and it's she just gives you a wake-up call and it's like, hey, this is what really matters. Hey. Hey, what are you guys thinking? Yeah, so it's cool. So we just wrote this book together. Yes. And if anybody's watching the video. Here it is. This is it. <laughs> Vegan. <laughs> Vegan ketogenic diet book. Now available on Amazon. It was an interesting process, huh? Oh, yeah. I we, feel like the three of us should talk about book publishing, the ups and downs of it. Oh, pros yeah. And cons. Oh, yeah. Well, this was so amazing, Whitney, because last year in 2019, when we wrote this, one of my New Year's resolutions was to write a book that year to become a published author. And 
that manifested and we never know how it's going to manifest. It manifested through you coming to me and it was amazing. And so totally manifested that. And now you and I are published authors, which is amazing. And, you know, we're so excited to join Jason Robel as a published author. And I'll link to all the books at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a show notes section for the podcast. And the book is called The Vegan Ketogenic Diet Cookbook. You can get it on Amazon. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I had started thinking about publishing a book last year, too, for the very first time. Mm. I kind of didn't feel like that was going to be something I wanted to do. And, and it came into my mind. And then it felt like a few months later, that opportunity came knocking. And it's so interesting when that happens. And it was just an interesting process. And we're not completely been through it. Yes. And the book officially comes out February 11th, right. 2020. And yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> the the experiences of it. You know, I've been hearing through people like Jason or other friends of mine talk about their publishing experiences. What, How was it like what you expected better and maybe even worse than what you expected? Oh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was a loaded O, uh, by the way. It was so exciting. And the publishing house that we went with, there was a very aggressive delivery schedule. Yep. And it seemed really tangible when you just glanced over. It's like chapters one through three, do this week, do this week, do this week. But then in the midst of it, adding on normal life and paying rent and juggling your other gigs, it was... And then also I had a move during the, the time right, and my dad right. had a surgery. And I was in San Francisco for a week, chefing a retreat. Right. And so it just was coming at me like fastballs across the plate. Like it was just. I'm honestly amazed now that the book is published. When I, when I got the copy of the book for the first time and I saw all these recipes, I don't, it felt so different in a Word document when we submitted right. it than it does when you look at it. It's a it's body a of work. It is a body of work. I mean, the fact that you got all that done and and these are really good recipes too. Thank like, you. Yeah, we've to be completely to honest. Them. I was like, well, you know, we did them really fast. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see, guys. And so I was so relieved when we when Started we made the them. recipes together yeah. after the book came out, and I was like, oh, phew. But right. I think this is this is why I wanted to work on this with you is because I trust you and I know that you're incredibly skilled. I mean, I've been going to your pop-ups for a while and just experiencing your food and the amount of care that you put into things. Yeah. And I hope that you do those pop-ups again. I would really love to do one with you. I think oh, you're so mermaid. Fun. I know. You had a mermaid and unicorn pop-ups. Right. Will you tell out. the listener what foods you were serving at some of these pop-ups because they were so imaginative. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole theme with the pop-ups was to invite non-plant-based people to the table by using really fun themes and showing them that plant-based food can be fun and inspiring and anything. So we did, I did one unicorn brunch was the intention and it was so popular and it was sold out and there was a waiting list. And so then the venue asked me to make it my summer series and we ended up doing three in total. And we started out at a venue that only housed 30 people and ended up selling out a venue that housed 60. So cool. Yeah. And so it was just like, you know, we had these incredible, magical, popsicle mimosas where you drop your unicorn 
popsicle into some champagne and it bubbles and changes colors. And we had magical unicorn noodle salad, which was a rice noodle salad. The one that changed color. Yeah, we poured the dressing on or something. Yeah, color changing. Uh huh. So it was purple. And the way that I got the purple color was boiling these rice noodles with cabbage. Actually, everything I used all natural. Everything was rainbow colored, but all natural dyes. So we boiled it with purple cabbage, and then it takes on a really beautiful purple color. And then the salad dressing has lime juice in it. The acidity turns the purple into pink. And then you have like this magical unicorn colored salad. We had a unicorn waffle Benedict. Yeah, we partnered with Karma Bakery. We had unicorn donuts and I had handmade all these unicorn horn headdresses and for the photo booth. And we had like pinata filled with all vegan yummies and treats that were sponsored by so many great friends. And it was just like a fun celebration. And so many people attended that event, didn't even recognize that it was plant-based. They just wanted to come to a unicorn party. And, you know, they found out halfway through and it really just opened their mind to what plant-based food is. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. it's not just like quinoa and kale chips, that it can be literally anything. Right. And, and I so. think the same thing is true with the, the recipes that you did in the book. I mean, right. when I when I saw the matcha donuts, yes, I thought, okay, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite recipe from the book, actually? What is the recipe that you're most proud of? The one I'm most proud of versus the one that I'm the most excited to eat. Let's or, tell, tell us both. Oh, uh, okay. So, well, I share my, I have like a kale salad in there. And as you know, Whitney, just through the book writing process, the kale salad fuels my life. Is this the tahini kale salad? Yes. Yeah. I love, I agree. It's actually, it's such a simple recipe. It's so simple. But it's so, I just had it the other night. This, here it is. Yes. Page 94, kale, avocado, avocado and tahini, tahini salad. salad. So simple. It takes five minutes. Yes. And so this salad actually um, went into development when my mom had two back-to-back back surgeries last year. And the reason why she had to have the second surgery is because she was pre-osteoporosis. And I was researching ways to get her calcium up. Dark leafy greens are great, but tahini is actually such a great calcium builder that moms have used it actually to reverse cavities in small children. Really? Yes. So, and and there's incredible studies when these moms have literally published, like, they've just documented the journey of this kid being told that they had four cavities and this mom going on this regimen with tahini, really high-grade raw tahini, recalcifies the body. A lot of people don't know that when you have calcium from cow or dairy sources, you're actually counterproductive. It's leaching calcium from your bones to break that down and you're able to absorb very little and it's negative. And that's what's so sad. Like a lot of women from my mom's generation that thought they were doing the right thing by having a glass of milk every day as kids are now osteoporosis and and they're dealing with that. And it's really sad. So that was the development of this salad. And then also just like putting tahini in my mom's mouth for every meal. I mean, I found a way to sneak it into everything. And she's like, you know, she's doing great. Yeah. And then the salad just ended up being so delicious, so easy to make. I noticed that when I ate it, I felt so vital and alive. And it's not something that you could ever get bored of. And it's creamy. I've fed it to kids. Like, it's just, it's awesome. we had some right now. I know. All this food talk. Like, (laughs) I... I'm like, part of me is loving the food talk and part of me right now is like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. this is kind of torture. Yeah. So sounds so wonderful. Yeah. So that that's my favorite. And then I think the one that I'm most proud of is actually the one that you've already highlighted, the matcha donuts, yeah. because I just- Which I still haven't tried yet. Oh, we have to make them. But it's just so fun. They're so beautiful and you get the antioxidants from the matcha, but it's fun. And I like showing people that just because there's boundaries- 
that are put in place because you have a goal or something like that doesn't mean that you have to miss out, that you have to suffer, that it needs to be depravity. I am all about abundance. And this was just so fun to me. And, you know, Jason knows, longtime matcha lover. I mean, back when him and I were seeing each other, I think I was doing the matcha rose water cupcakes. Those were so <gasps> You know, and that was good. the big thing. What do you even mean? And why aren't, why aren't those in the book? So oh, you probably, good. well, because they weren't keto, but I could have adapted the recipe. But yeah, I'm just a longtime matcha lover. And um, oh, even, you know what, as you're flipping through the chocolate. The oh, start, the I made, famous bar. The first time I made that was for Moby. Jason and I went to go meet him at his restaurant, which led to me developing a spring menu for him. And I brought that as a gift for him, the yes. bark in the, in the yes. thing. And he loved it. It was his favorite out of all the flavors I brought him. Okay. I couldn't remember if the matcha donuts were in the dessert section or the breakfast section. Oh, yeah. Well, they're both <laughs> basically. Yeah. Berserk. Yeah. yeah. They're on page 58. And yeah. I, I love it too, when you look at how simple the ingredients are. And this came up on a podcast we were both on recently. And, and the woman interviewing us said, well, are they easy to make? Mm. And your recipes, for the most part, are very easy to make, which is really nice, too. It was so fun for me to just kind of streamline things. Is as a chef, you know, we get into the workshop and it's like more exotic ingredients and more this and lemon zest this and import me the kefir lime leaves from Thailand. Like <laughs> it can get really crazy. And that's so fun. But it was so grounding for me to like reel it in, play inside the lines. Well, because the, the publisher wanted us to keep them very affordable too. In fact, right. the meal plans, I think, all had to be under a certain amount of money per week. Right. It was like $100 a week or something yes, like that. Yes, so tangible. So yeah, we not only to make it easy and fast, but affordable, which right. is something I'm very passionate about. But wasn't that part of the criticism you got with your book, Jason, as people were upset about the exotic ingredients? That's correct. Yeah. If you look still even now, I mean, the Amazon reviews, the most critical Amazon reviews are like, but he uses goji berries and he uses maca and he's got this, like, what is ashwagandha and what is this? Right. And, and I'm like, it has optional next to it for a reason. Like you can still create this chia seed pudding or this chocolate avo pudding or, you know, this breakfast parfait or whatever it is that you want. And if you only have blueberries, great, use blueberries. But people right. were all up in arms about, you know, saying that I was just getting way too exotic. And I mean, I think it just, it brings up, first of all, A, there's this thing called the internet you can use to find ingredients else. So that was always my response. It's like, hey, check this out. Here's a great deal, blah, blah, blah. Here's a buyer. Like I would respond and like give people options. But I think it's one of those big things about, you know, plant-based eating or even keto vegan is that it's, you know, too expensive, too exotic, too time consuming. And where am I going to find everything? It seems like the same concerns come up over and over and over again. Right. And I'm, I'm sure you both have heard the same things. I mean, obviously, Whitney, you came out with, you know, the vegan organic plant-based on a budget. That's something super huge for you because we, we hear the same resistances and criticisms come up over and over again. Right. Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit nervous to read the reviews for the book because they're just starting to roll on it. Yeah. Why are you and, nervous? Well, because keto is very polarizing and, and so is veganism. So, double whammy. So we really, yeah, we, we really whammy. have a double whammy here. And, and it's, it's a little, it's for someone like me who's very sensitive. Do you feel that way at all, Nicole? Well, I, you know, I had my own bout with uh, interesting reviews on the internet. Wait, what? Well, just in the past, because remember the commercials that I had done? Sure. So I, I mm -hmm. think it can't what? be worse than that. 
Well, well, which, tell, which tell commercial well, story? Okay, yeah, which so commercials? So back a while ago now, I was in a few Ruby Tuesday commercials. I played a mom um, and we were promoting the salad bar and it was really exciting. And the comments became so aggressive on one of them that YouTube had to ban further comments. There was just, there was a lot of negative talk about my body, which it just didn't bother me, like being an actress for so long. And I've done so much healing around my own feelings around it that that kind of just rolled off my back like water on a duck. But I remember my dad calling me one morning and I was still in bed and he's like, sweetie, are you okay? And I was like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. It's Wednesday. And he's like, have you been on the internet? And I was like, no. He's like, listen, sweetie, you're not fat. Okay. You're just not fat. It just the way a camera works is like a fisheye and the things towards the end, they just look bigger than they are in real life. And then he starts going on the thing and he was so, and I was like, what is he talking about? And then, yeah. And then friends just let me know, like, Oh, it's just like, mommy got a fat A, uh... Juice box. Mommy, yeah, juice box. So I got the nickname Juice juice Box. Box. Right. So that was so intense that I'm like, well, if they're saying anything about my intellectual property, at least, you know, I feel like it can't be worse than than that. (laughs) Um, Someone actually called... This is... Is this too negative for the... Someone called me a fat thigh load. No, Wait, you, you what? can actually say whatever you want. On yeah. this oh, okay, podcast. No, okay. We're marked as explicit. Wait, so fat okay, thigh you, can, load? you can say the word. So, yeah, someone called me a fat thigh load, and um, it, which what is does that even mean? I don't know, but it's amazing because as a teenager, I was like so insecure about my thick thighs. This is before like J Lo was super cool, and the Kardashians made curves cool. And so I've always had thick legs. I was a gymnast and a, a figure skater when I was a kid, and so I used to be so insecure about them and. When I, as an adult, read Fat Thigh Load, I, <laughs> I, I was... Is it a, a compliment or not? I don't think so. But it was such a, it was such a testament to my healing because I was just like, okay. Like, and it didn't hurt me. But a 13-year-old Nicole would have fallen apart if she read that. So it's just amazing. Like, really, at the end of the day, only thing that matters is that you love yourself and you're in integrity with what your purpose is. And there's always haters going to hate. No matter what you do. Haters going to hate. Well, I mean, you guys are are both subjecting yourselves willfully to, let's just be honest, you know, whenever you're an artist and you put anything into the world, whether it's this podcast or the books you've done, Whitney, or your YouTube channel, or Nicole, all the great artistic works you've done as an actress and chef, we're, by being public figures, we're putting ourselves available to criticism and praise all of the time. Right. And it's a hard emotional road. Right. So with this, I just want to commend you both for, as Whitney said, you know, Having this double whammy, it's vegan and it's ketogenic. But on that tip specifically, you guys have received some really fascinating resistance and criticism already to putting that word ketogenic. Sure. Where, oh, where, where, if yeah. I may, people aren't even noticing necessarily that you're doing it plant-based. Oh, no. They, they just see the word keto, keto and they freak out. So can you both like touch on that for a second? Because I, I find sure. it fascinating the way it's people really have It's really funny so because I don't know if people don't realize they must... I would be shocked if people didn't realize it was vegan and keto because vegan is the the biggest word. And oh, actually, yeah, it starts that, vegan. Vegan that, is huge. Yeah, but they see the K and it's almost like the other words just disappear. They're like, well, at least it says ketogenic because we last night when we were being interviewed, this woman didn't even know what that word was. You had to explain it. So at least the word keto is thrown around a lot more than ketogenic. And ketogenic is actually the full word. word. So it does sound a little bit more professional and all of that. But you are being being subversive in the sense that in the mainstream 
ideology of ketogenic, most people in our society do associate it with bacon and animal fat and animal sure. fat and more animal fat and animal, animal, animal. So you're spinning something completely on its head here when in oh, most people's minds, they're Spin thinking about doctor. it as a carnivorous thing, right? Yeah, totally. And so interesting to me because I really want to expand people's thought process. And the thing is, is like keto or ketogenic is a like a buzzword that's happening right now. And, you know, we've seen many diet trends like come in and out. And, you know, you can kind of piggyback some of those words. And I think that this was like very timely. It was very timely with Whitney's experience, you know, but, you know, whatever the word is like keto, you know, there's a lot of people that say that this is very similar to like the old 90s fad, like a cleaned up version of the 90s fad, which was Atkins. the Atkins, right? Which was the first time that this concept that like you could get your body to burn fat and you could switch the system over. And that was done really unhealthy back in the day. I mean, people were just eating like cream cheese and bacon and dropping all this weight and having heart attacks. And ketogenic or keto is kind of like the modern take on that where you could still do it, but in a cleaner way. And we're showing how you can do it with like plants, literally with vegetables. Yeah. And whole foods. Whole too. foods. All I mean, whole that, foods. That was the thing. Part of the the uproar that we experienced thus far was when we are supposed to speak at a, a veg fest. Right. And our friend had brought us into the veg fest before getting full approval. And then once the rest of the people on on the board board of yeah of the veg fest approving things found out that it was a keto book they got really upset and i thought it's so interesting because if you didn't put the word keto on these recipes people would just see these recipes and think oh these are really great vegan matcha donuts or maybe right. they wouldn't even know they were vegan no right right like right. if you just look at the picture and see the words matcha donuts that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking that they happen to be keto and they happen to be vegan as well. Right. And the other thing that that Nicole did so well in this book, too, is there are, are recipes that are oil free. Yeah. And you're using fat from nuts or fat from avocado. Sure. Certainly the keto diet tends to have oil in it as an easy way to get fat. Right. Or as an easy way to make the recipe taste good or work well or be able to cook in a certain way. But I think actually a good majority of these recipes could be adapted to pretty much any preference that you want. And so it is really interesting when people get upset. Right. It's like, in my opinion, it's like, yeah, we're just showing that it's keto and it's vegan. We're trying to make it easy for you. And you could just go and enjoy some of the recipes because Nicole makes great dishes. But I think, yeah, the title can get people really upset. Judge the book not- by the cover. Exactly. Yeah. They judge the book yeah, by the cover, literally. Yeah. And the content's great and it's heartfelt. And you know what I really like about the book is that it's kind of a roadmap to Whitney and I's journey. There's space in front of all the recipes, in front of all the chapters where we tell our stories and we dig into our childhood and really invite the full food experience to the table. Like we have sense memory. We have things that made us feel comforted and loved when we were a kid. And We've pulled that into the modern era and made it plant-based and made it approachable so you can still have like all the sensory and emotional response and do it in a way that's super conscious. Yeah. And like the French onion soup. Oh, yes. That's I mean, anybody that likes French onion soup is going to like this recipe. It's just French onion soup. Yeah, that's all it is. I it mean, just we can happens call to be it a vegan. title, but like, yeah, it's yeah. just French onion soup. We just made a really bomb 
French onion yeah, soup. Yeah, without any bread. And, and so in, in a way, actually, I find it a lot of people kind of tend to see things like this as restrictive, but I actually view them as inclusive because it allows people to have it no matter what their dietary choices or needs are. Almost anyone can eat out of this book, which is great. Yeah, that's you know? really exciting, too. Is right. I think when I started experimenting with vegan keto, I felt like I didn't know what I was going to eat. Sure. I didn't know how to eat it. I didn't know what I was supposed to eat. I didn't know what foods I could make. And it wasn't until I got a different vegan keto book that I really started to see how easy it could be. So I was hoping to be able to do the same thing with this book. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. We still have a long way to go on this journey of being published authors. Yeah. How do you both feel about the many genres within the plant-based movement that often seem to want to say that their version of veganism or their version of plant-based lifestyle is right? Because we have now vegan ketogenic, Probably on the polar opposite is whole food plant-based, no oil, no salt, no sugar. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in the between you have raw or you have 80-10-10 or things like that. Right. So the thing that I, I often sit back and watch is how often there's a sense of ego or righteousness within, I mean, many different lifestyles. But since we're talking about plant-based food, like, no, actually, you know, oil and salt and sugar will kill you. No, actually, you know, if you eat, you know, high levels of fat and protein, it's better for you. So- how do you both feel and address just a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the infighting and ego-based kind of positioning that happens within the movement? Well, it's ridiculous, right? Because at, at the end of the day, we shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves as vegans. You know what I mean? I just want to push this message forward and do something that's good for our bodies, good for the planet, good for the animals. And people have different bodies. People have different blood types. People have different activity levels. And there is never going to be a cut, copy, paste, end-all, be-all diet for everybody. Everyone needs to listen to their own body. And I'm, I'm just, I said to Whitney from the beginning, more than any diet or fad, I'm a big proponent of listening to your body's own intuition because you do have it. And maybe it's been desensitized by all these processed foods. But if you clear out all the noise, your body has its own wisdom and its own intuition. And it will tell you. You know when you eat something, if it feels good for you or if it slows you down or if it causes inflammation, you know. And I think each person just like, stop fighting, let everybody be in their own lane and do what makes them feel good, you know, and get off our little self-righteous soapboxes and really encourage people to have an intimate relationship with their own body and tune in to what your body is saying to you and how your body responds and what your body needs. That wisdom's there. I really do. I really believe it is. How do you practice that though? Because I, I, I hear about intuitive eating all the time and I suppose I have my own grokking of that concept, but can you give an example of, of what that means to intuitively eat? Like the process of actually like listening to one's body and then select, like, what does that mean for you? Okay. So on a really like practical application, yeah. like how I've helped for myself, Yes, there's been times where I've felt emotional. And I think our emotional is like the temperature gauge for what's going on with our body. And so I'll listen and I'll be like, okay, I need some self-love. And I will intentionally go to the grocery store and I will say, body, what do you want? And I will walk down the aisles and I will look and like I'll be drawn to a certain color. You know, I remember one time body wanted orange for whatever reason. I got an orange bell pepper. I got kumquats. I got carrots. I didn't, none of it makes sense. But there was something about my body that was craving that and I was listening to it. 
and I allowed myself to make myself a very decadent meal out of these things that I collected. And that was, that was it, you know? So that's for me, you know, but literally you can ask your body, what do you need? What do you want? And then you can also feel when you've done harm to your body. You have this emotional impulse. That's the other thing about intuitive eating. Slow down. What's going on with you emotionally when you're making the decision to eat something? Like just check in. And I know for me, when I get tired, overstressed, overworked, I want to go to Triejo's and get the vegan donuts. I want to go. That's what I was going to say. How do you differentiate between... Well, that's like a strong emotional impulse. And you're right. It's like, if you're not conscious, like that can just kind of happen. You're like, oh, I'm listening to my body's intuition. It wanted me to try the peanut butter one and the chocolate one and the vanilla one and, and, and chase it down with an oat milk latte. Haha, <laughs> stand on my hands. Like, no. <laughs> and it's like, if you slow down and then uh, like a big telltale is like, how did you feel afterwards? Because I think your true intuition... Is not going to guide you wrong. And every time I've like fallen into that stress, emotional eating and not checked in with myself and done something impulsive, and then I'm done with the triejos and I'm sitting there and I feel like a shell. I don't feel good. I, I instantly regret it. I'm sure everyone has eaten something and then afterwards been like, why did I do that? I feel like I didn't help myself out. One thing that I try to think about myself, because we all have a very alive inner child, it's to acknowledge that inner child and pretend like I'm my the parent of that inner child. And like, how would I feed my child? And I am my child, right? So like, what's good for that baby? <laughs> like, It's like your parent. Well, it's almost like you have two aspects of your psyche. You have the adult side of your psyche, but then you very much have the child part of your psyche yeah. and learning how to, I suppose, manage that relationship in a really balanced and healthy way. Right. Right. I feel like in some ways... If we don't understand that that part of our psyche can sabotage things for us by eating poorly, eating a ton of sugar, yeah. acting out, burning bridges. And I feel like that there's just an opportunity to understand how to talk to and feed our inner child so that it doesn't feel ignored and then lash out in certain ways. And I feel like for me, that's definitely been true of like working too much, overworking, ignoring my inner child's needs, and then it will come out in sometimes very you know, violent or destructive ways if you don't listen to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, inner child's going to have a tantrum. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's why with these diets, you know, whatever it is, I think something that's too restrictive can make the inner child feel deprived and want to lash out. And that's why you kind of see people that are so, so, so strict, so, so, so strict, and then they, they go on a binge and they freak out. They're rebelling. They're rebelling. The inner child's rebelling. They feel deprived. They're not in a place of abundance. And like, that's why I want this book to have balance. That's why we do have donuts. We have cookie bites because like, yes, I want to give you a treat. I want to give the inner child a treat, but a treat that's actually going to make the child feel good. Not be an impulse, like an impulsive, like feel good in the moment. And now we're having like a meltdown you know, tantrum because it's like the sugar spiked and then it crashed and it's like, you know, I want to give them the actual treat. Well, I think that most people are afraid of being deprived too. Yeah. And so if you can tell them that they can have donuts, it's like, okay, I can do this. Right. 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 Because like that oh, first reasonable. fear that comes up is, well, I won't be able to have the things that I love. I won't be able to have my vices. But you were just talking about treos, right? So right. what if instead of going to and for anyone who is unfamiliar, Danny Treos has uh, a few establishments in LA and one of them is a donut and coffee shop and they make great vegan donuts. Yep. But just like think of any donut that you love and somebody saying you can't have that and you're really attached to that emotionally. But then you open up a recipe book and you see that you can have 
a donut on this diet that you've chosen to try, it's really exciting. Yeah. Right. It's relieving too. It's It's saying like, okay, I don't have to feel deprived. I can actually have my cake and eat it too. Literally. Right. Definitely. Sure. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing that, that the two of you have in common, which is not quite a, I don't, I don't know. At this point in my life, I think I've, I've thought about it before and I've, I've had an interest in it, but right now I I just feel whatever is the TV show. Yeah. Right. Like this is something Jason has done. He had how to live to 100. And this is something you, Nicole, continue to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Jason was the published author. You became a published. (laughs) I know. She is my ginger mini me. Yeah, exactly. I am. She's the female version of me. Exactly. No, I I think that's more of a coincidence. But uh, it's interesting, this dream of having a TV show and working towards that. Yeah. And I I think it'd be interesting for the two of you to to talk about it. Like it's kind of like you have the before and the after. Uh-huh. Jason, you talk about your experience. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely talked about it in a previous episode. I think episode number two of the podcast where I talked about my life, uh, I do recall there was a, a massive segment. So I don't want to rehash the whole story of the genesis of How to Live to 100. But for me at that time, it was just the biggest possible platform I could imagine to bring plant-based eating and compassionate food to the mainstream. It was like, I mean, this was 20, 2012 when we got the pilot. So certainly social media was not the juggernaut it is now in 2020. It wasn't even close to the juggernaut. So at that time, you know, to me, I felt it was what's the biggest way to reach this message and this, this, this compassion to people is TV. I don't think it's that ca- the, the case anymore because I, I believe now that with Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon Prime and HBO and all these streaming platforms, that traditional TV does not have quite the same level of power and influence it did eight years ago. But I think of those platforms as TV. No, true, true. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, like the traditional network. Network, yes. That's but what I in, mean. In, I mean, in essence, Nicole's probably, if when the show does happen, whichever avenue it goes through, it will likely be on a streaming platform these days. Which is to her advantage, yeah. is what I'm saying, because yeah. the one of the biggest criticisms... No, I don't want to say criticism per se, but requests that I had were because it was on broadcast TV and not streaming online. I would get emails and DMs from people saying, I'm in Holland, I'm in Scandinavia, I'm in Tokyo. I mean, I got so many international friends and fans saying, we can't watch it. Oh. Now, if, had we made it at that time or the technology was available or bigger to make it streaming, I believe that we would have had a way bigger global platform for that show when it was sure. only restricted to US residents. So. Well, the good I news think, is it's now you can now buy it on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. It's also on iTunes. Or I'm, I'm just plain old Amazon. You have to. Pr- yeah. It's like ten dollars or something yeah. to buy the season. And, and iTunes as well. Hmm. But my point was during the actual broadcast of when we were rolling out episodes. At that time, I remember writing the head of Cooking Channel, being like, "Can we stream these? Can we do this? Is there?" And he's like, "Oh no, we don't really have that." And again, this was 2012, it wasn't 2013. Set up yet. Yeah. But I think the timing of of Nicole right now for you in pitching your concept and your personality, first of all, you have that really approachable, friendly, loving, all-American vibe to you where you have the comedy, you have the knowledge, you certainly have the unbelievable culinary talent. And I remember back then, and I think it still holds true to this day, one of the biggest things they told me back then was, we've been wanting to do this for years and years and years. 
We just didn't find a person who had the talent and the charisma and the personality to carry it. Right. And you're one of the few, and I mean few as in like one hand of people in, I believe, our culinary style, our movement that has the personality and the chutzpah and the talent and that that beautiful energy to do it where there's a lot of great chefs yeah but they're not great on camera or they they can't really carry the energy right they'd rather be back in the kitchen doing their thing and kind of out of the limelight yeah so i i think you're in a very very narrow specific niche of the personality the talent the energy the comedy but also the unbelievable culinary skills so i don't think it's a matter of if it's going to happen for you it's only a matter of when and yeah. what the right venue and channel is for you for that. Thank you. I believe that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm calling it in and claiming it for sure. And it's been amazing. Like this whole journey, I think, kind of happened very miraculously. Obviously, like I self-produced my own YouTube channel and, you know, worked all these odd jobs to fund that and make that happen just as my platform for activism to show people that they could get in their own kitchens and they can do this. And that kind of happened for a while. And that was the seedling that started these opportunities that are now coming now where I've been recognized by some producers and they see the talent and they see the potential and kind of like what you said, it's like, we need that message, but we need someone that can like carry it. And it's been amazing to see how the skills that kind of seemingly didn't, you know, I always would hear that like, oh, jack of all trades, master of none, because I have all these interests. And I never, you know, I didn't like that when people would say that to me, but I didn't let it dishearten me or slow me down. I said, you know, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to pursue it. And now we're seeing a marriage of all those talents coming together where it's like, oh, literally the universe is just preparing me for this because everything that I, every skill that I've developed, class, workshop, whether it was comedy or continuing to work on my plant-based cooking or developing relationships inside the vegan community, all of those are coming together to make this show possible. And it's huge. Like, it's huge. It's like we're going to have a completely plant based show and, you know, just a platform for change. And the planet needs it so bad right now. Needed it back in 2012 when you started it and pioneered this. And, like, literally, thank you, Jason, because made the way for this to even be a concept and even to be possible. I mean, you are the original pioneer and, you know, so much gratitude and paved the way. And it's just, you know, and now here we are. And then also, like, it's an incredible time for women to be empowered and for women to be bosses, too. So it's just, you know, I think it's a miracle every day, you know, and then you know, the universe just literally put this in my lap. And it's like, OK, let's carry the torch forward. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything else you can reveal about the vision or the concept without getting into too many details? Are there any are there any spoiler alerts you can leak out? without giving too much away well about the vision i'm so lucky that i can't actually ruin anything yet because we've <laughs> yeah we've left it pretty open you and, have yeah i mean in general the rough concept is like nick chef nicole as like literally a plant-based rachel ray and i love that and i feel that and that resonates with me and like to have that dream actualized for the vegan movement would be incredible for our planet. Like if there could be a vegan chef that was a food star that could like show up and become a household name like Rachel Ray, we're on the right track. You know, that would be huge for us. So I love that. Other than that, it's like they definitely want to showcase my comedy. 
and my passion. Like I'm a bit of a nerd. Like, you know, sometimes like if you guys have seen the YouTube channels, it's like, how is she so excited about this broccoli? And I don't know. Because it's purple. <laughs> yeah. Because it's purple broccoli. I get so I get Wait, is there purple broccoli or just purple cauliflower? Oh, sorry. Purple, purple cauliflower. cauliflower. That's what I meant. There is purple Brussels sprouts, mm-hmm. which are beautiful. So then if all of the cruciferous pantheon, why not different colored broccoli? Why do Brussels sprouts and cauliflower get all the fun? You know huh. what? I bet you we Google purple we carrots. Yeah. This is very strange. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, broccoli's done a lot for us already. It's just like one of the major cancer-fighting vegetables. Here's a big question, because this was a point of concern and a little contention back in the day for me. Using the word vegan versus plant-based versus plant-powered versus plant-strong versus plant-based booty versus, you know. Yeah, in 2012, they didn't even really have plant-based wasn't being said, really. So no, you guys just left the verbiage off the table completely, right? We in the pilot or in the season we shot or even in the web webisodes, we never and I never used the word vegan or plant-based and it never got uttered. It was never in the promos. It was never in anything. So I'm curious wow. now, 2020, eight years later, if that discussion or the attendant potential concerns or energy or associations with the word vegan, if that's come up for you at all in conversations with the networks or the producers. I'm just curious yeah. in, in the mainstream conversation where that's at now. The conversation right now is definitely that the word plant-based has a more positive association. Than vegan. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a bunch of like really well-intentioned, you know, vegans from the 90s and stuff like that maybe scared some people off. It, like vegan kind of has a, I think that word carries this idea to some people that aren't in this movement that it's like evangelical or that it's judgy or that it's like a religion that has to be followed perfectly or you're going to get crucified by other vegans. So some people are intimidated by that word and they feel like they have to participate 100% or they shouldn't participate at all. Whereas I think plant-based, I think a lot of people are feeling like that's something that they could participate in and they don't have to commit or sign a waiver or sign the rights to their first child. They could literally just come and have a plant-based meal. And that's what I want. I want inclusion. I want people to feel not intimidated, like it's approachable. Like they could start with a couple meals a week and see how their body feels and make the adjustments as they go. You know, I don't want people to feel intimidated because it's in- it is intimidating. Like even when I uh, like I've been plant-based for eight years now. And even as a chef with a cordon bleu background, when I first set out to do this, I was like, what am I going to eat? Like, I I didn't Mm, know. And I'm mm, a chef. Yeah. So I have to have compassion for somebody who has no cooking skills, two kids that are like in elementary school running around trying to like, it's intimidating. And I want to take that factor away and invite people to participate. It sounds uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, it does. No, it does. I mean, flat out, like it's almost as if our normal from the way we think or the way we live for anybody, you know, you sink into a diet or a lifestyle or workout routine or a relationship and it becomes your new normal. And I think it's so easy to forget what it's like to be in the mindset of someone who wants to make a change, but is so uncomfortable or intimidated by the idea of making that change. Yeah. So for, and this goes out, you know, to both of y'all, and discussing this because I'm sure that there are some listeners that are like, I've been wanting, I'm sure there are because they've sent me messages like, I've been wanting to do more plant-based. I've been wanting to eat more vegan food, but I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm intimidated. For newbies, 
how do they dip a few toes in the water and not scare themselves away? Yeah. What is, what's some newbie advice? I think, you know, my whole YouTube channel is geared towards newbies. So it, mm-hmm. it's like very one-on-one, but I think- And we were just talking about this yesterday. Remember how- Yes. Will you tell that story? Yeah. So I had a friend over. I host a vegan Thanksgiving every year. And Jason was, was there oh this year. God. It was, yeah. It, it just I really keep, feel like I missed out. It was, like a Dion, it was like a Greek Dionysian feast. Yeah. It was incredible. It, it keeps getting more epic every year. It has a life of its own at this point. But anyways, there was a young kid that came and he's maybe 23. And our close friend, Allison, who has the Food Heals podcast, was there. And they kind of hit it off and were friends. And so this kid has no background in vegan food or anything like that. But connected so much with Allison as a person that he, for the first time in his life, was so curious about this and starting to ask questions he never asked. And then went on to the podcast to try to catch up and learn some stuff. And he has like such kind of a cute crush on Allison that he (laughs) really wanted to listen to all the episodes. But he said he found himself continuing to pause the podcast to Google and look stuff up because he didn't know, you know, he didn't know what adaptogens were or he didn't know what. And so he felt like he needed a pre-podcast to educate him so that way he would actually be intelligent or have the, he's very intelligent, have the information to digest what he now was learning. So to him as a brand new, brand new, the information was like, you know, intermediate to advanced and he needed the beginner's guide. And we forget what it's like to be new. We forget, like, you know, I forget, like, I I forget you guys, the first time I tried this, I was just going to do a raw cleanse for 10 days. Back when the raw was the thing. Raw was the thing. I was going to Jamaica for a one year anniversary with a guy I was seeing at the time and I wanted to look smoke show. And I think Heidi Klum or somebody had just done a raw cleanse. And so I announced to my boyfriend that that's what I would be doing for the next 10 days before we departed. And he said, okay, I will support you. And I literally went to the kitchen and put whole Roma tomatoes and a whole cucumber in a bowl. Like I didn't even chop it because there was something about the verbiage of raw that I thought it had to be this thing. It's like, Nicole, you could have literally just made a salad and put lemon juice on it, like an olive oil. Like it didn't have to be. And he's looking down at me. This kid is such a trooper with a bowl of whole Roma tomatoes. And we're just biting into these tomatoes like savages. And I'm like, I guess this is what it is. Like we, we didn't know. You know, and, you know, you forget those. You forget those things. It is interesting when you bring that up, too, is I think a lot of people do keto for the same reasons that you just mentioned. Aesthetics. Right. It's like, yeah, they hear some celebrities they doing feel keto good about and themselves. they're like, I want to feel good. And so yeah. actually, that's another thing that I feel excited about with our book is that maybe somebody will pick it up because they're like, oh, wow, I can I can try both things at the same time. That's great. And then we actually get to give them some information that and some recipes that are based in in whole foods. Mm -hmm. And one thing I actually tried to stay away from as much as possible with the book was weight loss because Nicole and I actually both have experiences with disordered eating. And we shared this in the Food Heals book that came out recently, which we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. All the show notes, you can click on all the different books and videos and whatnot that we're talking about today. And one of them that we'll include is the Food Heals book, which each of us, all three of us shared our personal stories and how food has helped us heal. Yeah. And it was really interesting when I opened up that book to see that Nicole and I shared almost the exact same story about how learning about veganism and nutrition and all that helped us 
work through our disordered eating. Right. So anyways, I'm very sensitive to talking about weight loss because I don't really want to encourage people to do something just to lose weight. Sure. And admittedly, that is the reason that I tried keto, but it ended up becoming so much more than that to me. Right. And I just feel like, you know, you want to be really careful about it. And and it sounds like a very similar story for you too, Nicole, is that when you got introduced to veganism, it was also to lose weight, right? It was also to go on this cleanse. Uh, you want to look your best, well, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that, and that was, that was years before I actually went vegan. I just really just wanted to look my best for this trip to Jamaica. That um, was how you dipped your toe in. That's how you, yeah. you started to figure things out is, okay, I guess I'll... And I think a lot of people do that. So even though weight loss could be detrimental to people in some ways, it also can lead you towards maybe even a healthier mindset and a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. And that was such a nice shift too, like doing the raw, you know, way before I ever totally converted with disordered eating. It was incredible because I noticed that the raw food digested really fast and then I was hungry again and it was okay because I felt good about the plan that I had. And then I was eating a lot more than I'd ever eaten in my life. And my body was dropping into like a lower weight and I had all this energy and I was so hydrated and it changed my mindset that looking good meant depravity and restriction. And instead, I was looking better and better every day and having more and more energy every day. And I was eating copious amount. Like if anyone who's ever gone fully raw, especially from like a standard American diet, you are like a metabolic machine and it is a full-time job just to keep up with your hunger. And I was like, literally just like trying to find time in the day to make myself enough food. First time in my life where I just was eating as much as I wanted. And I, it was so fun. It was like a kid on Christmas. I was like, wow. Versus so many people who, myself included, back in the day before we had so much access to the internet and social media, my ways of losing weight was like eating all this processed food, like eating Weight Watchers, Packaged. frozen oh. meals and getting shakes. Like, I don't know if it was the Weight Watchers shakes, some shake I used to, to drink and the bars. I, those were the things I thought yeah. I should eat. And I felt deprived and they taste disgusting. And I, right. you know, I had no idea. A lot of people drink like diet sodas because oh, yeah. they don't want the sugar. And so they think, you know, diet means that they're on a diet. It's like right, they buy diet foods that are labeled as diet foods. Right. And they try to just stick to the package. Yeah. And then they thing. end up feeling worse because they're not eating enough food. They're restricting their calories so much. It, it becomes this like, this awful thing. And then the results are not sustainable because you're depriving yourself. So right. eventually you're just going to go back. And I, I think actually that was something I really found from the keto diet is some people do keto and deprive themselves. Some people do it and it's very extreme and they can't sustain it. But for me, I've actually sustained a, a relatively low carb diet. I'm not fully keto right now as of the time of the recording, but it led me into realizing I feel better on a low carb diet than I did on a high carb diet. I've actually never been that into fruit. You know, like we're yeah. talking about the raw foods. I've done raw food eating. All three of us have experimented. Jason was really into it for a while. And I've done the the high carb diets as well, also for for kind of weight loss experimenting and all of that. And I have felt the best and it's felt the most sustainable doing a low carb diet for me. Yeah. And coming back around to what you were saying before, Nicole, about how everybody needs to figure out what works best for them. 
you know, I feel the increased energy you're talking about and I feel satisfied. I feel like I can eat so many great foods, you know, being able to eat endless amounts of avocado and and coconut products is really and nuts. All of those things that a lot of people associate with things that you're not supposed to have that much of. Yeah. Right. I mean, I do feel like it's changed my mentality around carbohydrates and, and I've kind of had to be really conscious about when I do eat higher carb foods, I find myself questioning it. And that's something I have to work through mentally. I and just kind of allow myself to eat whatever I feel like, like coming back to the intuitive eating. Right. If I want to eat something, a rice product, not feeling like it's bad, because I don't think any of those foods are bad. It's just that I do feel better when I don't eat as much rice as I used to, because I used to eat rice constantly. (laughs) Right. You know, and I think it's just about the extremes and, and it comes back to understanding your body and, and what moderation really means for yourself. Right. So it is really interesting as this ongoing experiment is this ongoing process of trying to figure out what makes you feel good mentally and physically. And, you know, it's it's just like anything else. We, we started this episode talking about healing and how it's a journey of of experimenting with a lot of different things and, and getting to know yourself. Yeah. And that's something Definitely. that the three of us have in common. We all love, we love the process of understanding ourselves and yeah. getting in deep and and pushing ourselves to different limits and and shooting for the stars too. I think yeah. that's yeah. something else. The three of us are we're really reaching for different levels of ourselves and and seeing ourselves as people that can do anything, right? But you know, one thing I would like to touch upon too, Nicole, for you. Is as Jason was talking about his experience with this TV show, I started thinking it must feel. I know that Jason and I certainly experience this a lot, and this has been a this has been something that you've talked with us about at least privately is social media mm. and the pressure to mm. have a big social media following. Mm. Oh yeah, and I yeah. I kind of disagree with what Jason was saying earlier about there not being a lot of chefs that are good on camera. I actually think that the competition is increasing. Because now with video being such a big platform, you know, again, I I talk a lot about TikTok. I spent that's like the platform I'm on the most these days consuming content. And there are a lot of incredibly talented people right now. I mean, there's talent everywhere and it's popping up more than ever because anybody with a phone can get on TikTok and become a star overnight right now. Yeah. Right. And so... They might not have the background that you have, Nicole, of going to chef school and having all this experience, which I think is a huge advantage of yours. But sadly, from my opinion, I think producers often get very swayed by people's social media numbers. So I'm curious, like, how does that feel for you? This is comes up in a lot of our conversations with people that have spent years and years of their life honing their skills. Yeah. And then suddenly they're being compared to people that don't have as much experience, but have huge social media numbers. How do you navigate that? Um, It's been interesting for me because I don't have the huge numbers now. And obviously, if I had a network show, I'd have huge numbers tomorrow because there's professionals that like do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think they would put like a whole team on it, you know, but I've been okay. I've just focused on connecting where I'm planted and cultivating like just like a grassroots following and just like really connecting and focusing on service and just trusting that everything's going to fall into place. And I, I am really grateful for my Cordon Blue education. And to me, that gives me the confidence to do 
you know? So as far as the social media numbers, yeah, there's networks, they, they ask and they'll, they'll love me and they'll love everything. And they'll be like, how's your social? You know? And it's like, eh, it's okay, you know? But what I do have is like a really strong cult following. And the people that do follow me are engaged and they're invested in the story. They're probably listening right now. They're probably listening right now. And thank you guys. I love you. Thank you. And they've been here for the whole journey from the beginning. They, you know, this has really been like a grassroots thing. So I'm so grateful and I feel like my following is intimate enough that I do have like a connection and a relationship with them and I talk directly to them on a daily basis and I have the kind of relationship with my following where like, you know, they'll check in when I have a tough day and and send me love and or they'll reach out for advice or encouragement and I just trust that I have this quality over quantity at this point and when it grows, it grows and it's going to be amazing. But I just have to trust it. And and yeah, you know, there are there's going to be a lot of stars, you know, that are here and maybe they will be able to cultivate some sort of longevity over, you know, this like flash of stardom that they're getting. But I do feel like I have the tools in place to have not only a career, but a long career because I have the education behind me, which is giving me the confidence and the intellect to speak from. And the information. So yes, it's fun. And yes, it's entertaining. And yes, it's right now. But I feel like I've built a strong foundation. And I have to just trust in that. Trust the process. Yeah, that's so important. And I, I think it's a challenging thing mentally. I know, as I mentioned earlier, Jason and I have gone through this. Our guests, many of our guests have gone through this. Somebody that w- feels like they're working really hard and then also feels like on top of that, they have to create this big online following. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of people feel like is important. Right. Right. And I understand it because it, it actually comes up with like book projects, right? I mean, one of our guests talked about how he really wanted to have a published book, but people wouldn't accept him as an author because he didn't have a big enough following. Mm. Right. And it's interesting, you know, for us with this book, we have to do a certain amount of social media posts. Like that's now part of the contracts. Like right. that you have to help with the marketing and spread the word. And I'm sure with TV shows, it's like almost in a way, maybe this is an extreme phrase, but it's like now they see people as their built-in marketing team and they they have a their budgeted budgets can be smaller. They don't have to have as big of a team doing all of the work that a social media star could do, right? right? They can just post something on Instagram and get all these views on a video. And so I think it's just a way to kind of shortcut it, right. which is really too bad. And I think what you're saying, Nicole, is, you know, it's just like anything else. Anybody who shortcuts things is going to, there's going to be some sort of cost for that in the future. right? And for you, you're in it for the long run. And it's it's like a tortoise in the hare type of story. Sure. It's that maybe the hare can look like it's going to win the race in the beginning, but eventually there's a certain amount of burnout that happens if you're trying to get things done too quickly. Right. But if you're in it for the long run and you're pacing yourself and you're dedicated to something, I think eventually you are going to get something that you're meant to have in one way or another or that you've you've earned something. And I certainly found this. There are times where I'll get really down on myself for not having the numbers that other people do. And then I get plenty of great opportunities that that satisfy me in the ways that are most important to me. I don't I don't need to have like all of the fancy things or all the exact experiences that some people have just because of the big numbers. And none of us know how long those numbers are going to last. 
Right. It's just like with anything in life, it's all temporary. Yep. And just because somebody has a million followers doesn't mean that it could all, it's going to stay there for very long. Yeah. Right. It could be taken away or the platforms change. The platforms obsolete at some point. You know, think about all those uh, Vine stars, Mm -hmm. you know, and now nobody's on Vine, really. Well, now Vine has actually made a... It's come, come back. Comeback? Yeah. Okay. It's called Bite now. Oh. It just uh, just Why? in the past week is <laughs> so we'll see what we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Maybe maybe Nicole will be the next big bite star. Bite. bite. Check bite. out on Bite. <laughs> I think the big thing for me though is is this is an issue of kind of integrity and in the energy you're putting out because yeah. we know specific people that have paid for their followings, really really big followings. And sure, you get the TV deal or you get a, specifically a, a big book deal with a big publisher. But if the numbers are inflated and they're bought, then it's going to come out in the wash at some point because the book gets released and then people don't buy the book and the publisher's like, you have a million followers. Why isn't anybody buying this book? Yeah, where are they? So I think for people that are tempted to pay for a service to inflate their numbers, you may get the deal that you want. But I think integrity is the cream that rises to the proverbial top in all situations. And that if we conduct ourselves with authenticity and integrity and um, play the long game, I think that eventually we do get what is meant for us. And the whole idea of competition, you know, getting thrown out of like, what's meant for us will find us. Yes. I think that with all my acting experience, that's been something like, you know, I had a coach that told me in the beginning, if a job is not yours, there's nothing in the world you're going to be able to do to get it. And if it is for you, there's nothing anyone can do to take it away from you. Beautiful. You know, and I just trust that what's meant for me is coming. And another thing too, is like stay in your own lane. That's like a new thing. But I was a swimmer growing up and literally I had lost competition before by looking over to the next lane to see how far, lost it by a fraction of a second. And it was so painful. And this girl I was trying to beat for years, she was a little bit more developed than me. Never again. Such a painful loss to lose it by such a fraction because I, I was distracted. Instead of focusing literally in my own swimming lane, looking at what the competition was doing, and I lost it. What a wonderful analogy. Yeah. Life. And it's real. It's just real. Like It's just literally you, all you need to do is focus on you and how you're trying to show up and serve the universe and the gift you're trying to give. And that's it. And everything else will fall into place and you're always going to be met with like love and abundance and, you know. It reminds me of a great quote that Dr. Beckwith, Michael Bernard Beckwith has and many great quotes. Shout out to the Rev. Shout out. Is that if you work for the good of the universe, right? you will never be unemployed. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's so true. I mean, like I started this journey as a way of giving back and for the good of the planet and opportunities have just showed up, you know, knocking on my doorstep because it's just in support of what we need. Rolling up. Rolling on up. Rolling up. It's one of your signature phrases. Yeah. Roll up. Well, thanks for rolling up onto the podcast today. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for having we me. We love you so much. I love you so much. Yeah. You sign off with some love bombs. Yeah. Say, if you guys follow my Instagram, you'll know I always sign off with love bombs. Do it. And they, <laughs> Camera's sound, rolling they too. sound like this. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> I'm blasting you guys with love. Thank yeah. you for having me. Absolutely. We will link to your Instagram in the show Thank notes you. at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. As we mentioned earlier, everything in this episode will be linked there. The, Nicole... 
You can find her, her videos, her Instagram, our book, The Vegan Ketogenic Diet Cookbook. You can find Jason's book, Eternity, Jason's show. Maybe in the future, we'll be adding Nicole's show into the show notes here when that happens. Everything is there, plus all sorts of free goodies there for you, ways to connect with us. Jason and Whitney, we're so grateful for you, the dear listener, and we'll be here for another episode very soon. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 